Truth without compassion is a jerk move. Compassion without truth also happens to be a jerk move. Both of them are not love because compassion and truth are both essential for good conversations about abortion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Our conversation today is going to be, a, here's what we'd say to that, a response to some of the things that we hear when we are on the streets, because we want to be the best pro-life activists. We want to know how we can best and most effectively and most winsomely respond to some of the things that we hear on the streets. And we hear a lot of different things when we're on the streets, when we're in conversations about abortion. We're going to get to that in just a moment. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show, and I'd like to introduce my wonderful co-host and good friend, Cam, as well. Cam, how are you, sir? I am doing very well. I'm still getting used to not having most of my face by chopping off my beard, but um, it is still- It looks good, though. It looks good. It looks clean. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. My mother has echoed the very same sentiments. Um, she is not a fan of the long beard. Um, mostly came off because I'm tired of getting that mask crease right in the middle of my beard, um, but also yeah. thought that it was time for a, a different, fresh look. And so I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm I'm doing really good, Cam. I think um, I, I think our audience would love for you to do a Movember uh, this November. Um, that would look fantastic. I don't know. Have you done it before? I have not, and I won't necessarily. So I I have made the commitment that I'm going <laughs> to keep this beard until I, I die or I fundraise like a million dollars for for a shave. I I have this wonderful. Um, inspiration of mine that um, grew up in the, in the church that I grew up in. Um, his wife had never seen him clean shaven. They've been married for like 35 years now. She's never seen him clean shaven. Um, he's a bit of an inspiration in my life. And so um, <laughs> I, I can grow the mustache more, but I'm not going to shave the beard, unfortunately. So yeah. Nice. Nice. My wife has seen me clean shaven once and I was on a video call when she was in another country. When she came back, uh, it was months later because she was there for for many months. When she came back, I had the beard again. So she hasn't actually seen it in person, but um, maybe you're my inspiration. So this is a, a sort of a train of inspirations. But before before we before we divert uh, too far off uh, too quickly, um, thank you all for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. We are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children here in Canada, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. As I mentioned off the top, we want to have the best conversations about abortion. We don't want to just complain about abortion after church on Sunday morning over coffee and cake, but we want to actually engage with those who have a different worldview than us, engage with those who, who have totally different commitments than us when it comes to uh, who should or should not get human rights and what abortion actually does to preborn children or whether uh, preborn children are human or, or just a clump of cells. But we want to have these best conversations. And so that's what we do. So uh, continue listening to this episode to hear a little bit more about that. We also have a whole catalog of episodes uh, dedicated to apologetics, dedicated to giving you information, relevant information, key information uh, about the abortion war so that you can be the best advocate for preborn children possible. So uh, go check those out. Um, few things as well before we uh, be kick off into um, our conversation today. And that is that we have a merch store, which is up. ProLifeGuys.com slash shop. 
this probably isn't news to many people. Cam, put that up one more time, sir. If you're watching this on YouTube, I don't have to tell you, but if you're listening on the podcast catcher, Cam is uh, showing us uh, the new travel water mug that we have. It's not a mug, water tumbler. Bottle, you, call you could say. Water bottle, bottle is, is bottle. what I would That's often say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's our stainless steel. Uh, it's um, uh, insulated. It's lightweight. It's 18 ounces, I believe. Um, a, a wonderful, wonderful water bottle uh, that you can use at the office. You can use in class. You could probably use it in the gym. And uh, most importantly, I, I think you can use it to support the podcast and the mission we have here at the podcast and to be a good conversation starter, to rep the Pro-Life Guys podcast logo, which uh, I've had the Pro-Life Guys podcast shirt on. I don't have it on now, um, but I uh, I was at, I was in class uh, a few weeks ago with that shirt on, and it, it did start a, a few conversations about it. So uh, you can do that as well, and you can support the podcast. Go check out some of the merch items that we have. Uh, that water bottle, a fantastic coffee mug that Cam says will keep your mug hot uh, we'll, we'll keep your coffee hot as long as he has a beard on his face. Um, so go check out all of the merch items that we have there. We also have a course happening. Um, but I think, Cam, by the time by the time this episode drops, uh, registration for that course will be closed. So I apologize for that. Um, but, uh, but if it's still on the website, then it's still open. So go check it out just to make sure that it's not off the website because... Um, yeah, you can take part in some wonderful courses that we have here at the podcast. Another thing as well, you can support the podcast becoming by becoming a patron of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, patreon.com slash Guys. You'll get some pretty cool perks there as well, including discount codes for the merch store. So you can get that water bottle, you can get the t-shirt, you can get uh, this coffee mug right here. Look at Cam's wonderful mug right there. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? With the logo on it as well, more conversation starters for your home uh, you can get discount codes for all of those items. So go check it out, patreon.com slash prolifeguys and the shop, which is prolifeguys.com slash shop. Cam, um, anything before we start? No, I, I think you hit it all. Let's dive into it. Okay, nice. All right, yeah. So uh, like I said, we want to know how to respond to some of the things we hear on the streets. And what we're going to be talking about now is it, 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 not really your typical justification for abortion. Often when we hear the justification made for abortion, perhaps on, on the, the, the pro-abortion media outlet that you read, or perhaps on a YouTube video, perhaps in conversations that you ha you've had with colleagues or classmates, usually it's uh, a justification based on some of the experiences that woman might be in, some of the circumstances that she might be facing while she's pregnant with her little boy or little girl. Today's is a little bit different, Cam, because we're going to be talking about how to respond when someone has this false compassion, when someone is justifying abortion based upon what they think is compassion, what they're uh, considering and calling compassion, but it is a false compassion, as we'll see shortly. I think, Cam, about uh, a conversation I had. This was many years ago. This is one of the first conversations that I've ever had um, with a woman. I can't remember exactly where she worked. It was a, a, a juvenile detention center or some sort of facility or environment like this um, where she was working with uh, young children who uh, were just, yeah, had a lot of difficult struggles in their lives and, and had committed some crime or another. And, and she was working with them. And she was talking about how there were so many uh, of the girls that came in that happened to be pregnant when they came in or, or became pregnant later because of some of the uh, decisions and, and choices that they made. 
And she was saying that it is most compassionate for those young women to get an abortion because not getting an abortion and forcing them to keep their children, as she said, would uh, just be one sort of, you know, one, one massive problem in their lives on top of so many other problems. And this was the solution. We're going to keep that, that abortion. Uh, we're going to keep that child out of the way. We're going to keep that, that pregnancy out of the way. And we're going to deal with some of these other problems. The abortion is going to solve it. Um, Kim, I'm sure you have some as well. Um, maybe you could share some examples of, of where people have shown compassion or they thought they should, they have shown compassion, but it happened to be false compassion in the, in the conversation about abortion. Yeah. I'm glad that we're doing an episode on this because, um, like you mentioned, this comes up relatively often, and this has actually come up three or four times in the last couple of weeks in the conversations that I've been having. Um, and I'll, I'll outline three of them that we're going to dive into today, all of which kind of touch on the same kind of point, similar to yours that, that I was door knocking with a, a very good shout out to Peter. Peter's like a 16 year old kid who comes door knocking with us here. I mean, shout out to you, Peter, as well. Sorry, I didn't even think of that connection. But um, uh, Peter is one of our volunteers here in Calgary. Um, he's 16 years old or so, I want to say. He's been involved for the last like five years. The dude's an absolute champ. He and I were talking to a woman who was a, a retired high school teacher from a really tough neighborhood. And she said, you know what, abortion is necessary for those kids because if they don't, uh, if they become pregnant and they don't get an abortion, there's no chance they can succeed in life kind of thing. Similarly, um, had a conversation. What was the, the second one? I, I was talking to a guy at Choice Chin actually two weeks ago um, at Chinook Mall. And he basically conveyed this idea that abortion is the merciful option for both the mom and the kid because he likened it to the idea of you can either kill them swiftly or draw out their death over the next two, three, four, five years kind of thing. The last one that came up was a, a door knocking conversation I actually had um, at the end of the summer with our interns. We were working with the Wilberforce Project up in Edmonton, and one of the people that we talked to said um, that that he actually had a very close friend who had been in and out of addiction um, recovery centers, and when he found out that his girlfriend was pregnant, this guy did everything that he could to help out, but then ended up caving and driving his buddy's girlfriend to the abortion facility because he thought that was the only way that he could keep his friend from relapsing to his addiction again. And so all these conversations all kind of touch on the point of what is true love and, and not in like the, the super cheesy kind of kumbaya, let's hold hands and, and look at deeply into each other's eyes kind of love, but genuine wanting the best for the other person kind of love that. That's what I think we need to talk about today, Peter. Uh, I thought that last point you made there is something that we need to remember when we're in these conversations is that uh, the people that we're talking to are actually desiring the flourishing of mm -hmm. the adults and children. And they might have a, an incorrect understanding of that flourishing. Um, and that flourishing might include ending the lives of preborn children. Um, but but sort of at its core and the, the reason people are, are having this discussion and bringing this forward is because they they're concerned about the well-being of the people involved. Now, obviously they're not thinking about the preborn children. And so we have to really ask this question, can the flourishing of adults and the kind of flourishing of children be bought at the price of another human's life, right? Do the means, uh, do the ends justify the means? The end being the flourishing of the child, does that justify ending the life of another human being? And what we're, we're talking here um, is sort of the, the philosophical concept, Cam, 
which is known as the Occam's razor, which is the, the simplest solution to a problem is typically the best solution. It's sort of a philosophical concept. I've talked about it in my philosophy classes, but uh, it seems like a terrible one when we're talking about human life because when Occam's razor is being used to sever the jugular of another human being, then it really isn't a sufficient solution. It really isn't something that we should be um, sort of promoting uh, in our society because this sort of solution, an Occam's razor solution, when a woman, uh, when a, a teenage girl is in a difficult situation and is pregnant, always will mean ending the life of her preborn child. And so there has to be another way to respond to this. There has to be a way to have this conversation where we show that compassion, you know, that, that true compassion um, will certainly mean her keeping her child, but there's got to be more than that as well. So Cam, how would you sort of think through this? I know you have a lot of stories uh, of conversations that you've had um, about this. So help us out here. Yeah, so what I think about on this end is that, first of all, we need to establish that our true aim, both us and the person we're talking to, is indeed the flourishing of that person. It's not simply the, I, I just want their life to be easy. I just don't want them to have to deal with hard stuff. It, it can be a, I want them to genuinely succeed at life. Like we actually have a somewhat noble aim at um, as our end. And that's our common ground that we want to develop that, that, yeah, you and I can agree that we want people to genuinely flourish. We want them to be able to succeed. We want them to be able to thrive in their life. I don't necessarily get bogged down with what that means. I'm not necessarily talking about economic flourishing or um, social advancement or anything like that, but just the idea of flourishing. We want people to, as the expression goes, live their best life. And from there, I want to make an analogy. I want to make an analogy that that at times can expand this into a greater scope of if I live my quote unquote best life, if, if what is necessary for me to live my best life is to kill my two-year-old child, if my two-year-old daughter is holding me back from living my best life, from pursuing my dreams, from flourishing in the way that I think I ought to be flourishing, should I be allowed to kill my two-year-old daughter? No. And there's two reasons um, that, that I, I want to dive into here. Obviously, my daughter receives human rights. She has the human right to not be killed as an innocent human being. And so first of all, we can't pursue our hopes and dreams by sacrificing the children around us who are born. And most people are going to accept and acknowledge that. And that's nothing new to those who have tuned into to episodes before. This analogy should be very commonplace, should be a very, very intuitive approach, I hope, for many people that we'd trot out the toddler. Would we be willing to do this for a born child? If not, why a preborn child? I do think that there can be a time and a place to extend the conversation about what it truly means to flourish, right? Because we've had these examples. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big movie or TV show guy. And so I'm probably going to butcher this, Peter. I don't know if you would know who the person was and what award they won, but I, she won a golden globe or an Oscar or something and said that if she hadn't had her abortion, she never would have been able to achieve that feat. And I think that this demands a greater exploration exploration as to what it means to truly flourish, right? That would anybody look at, um, I mean, to put aside you and I, Peter, whether or not we're flourishing, would anyone look at my wife, um, who at this time in, in her life is a stay-at-home mom, would anyone look at her and say that she is flourishing in as much as somebody who's winning Oscars and Golden Globes are? 
I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our society who would say, no, she's not flourishing. She is a brilliant woman. My wife is far smarter than I am, far more capable than I am in so many realms. Um, She's a high school teacher. She easily could have pursued any career that she wanted to. But to say that she's not flourishing by being a mother is incredibly offensive and degrading by suggesting that you can only flourish in socioeconomic ways, not in a family way, not in a she is actually flourishing when it comes to holiness or or being able to contribute towards um, supporting and loving and caring for a beautiful daughter sort of thing. And so there there is a place for a conversation about flourishing, but at the end of the day, the common ground around, yes, we want people to flourish. Can that flourishing come, like you said, Peter, at the expense of somebody's life? And if not a born child, why a preborn child? That pivots us back to our human rights questions that we're so often going to navigate. And like I said, there can be a conversation about what true flourishing really means. I one other anecdote, Peter. I, I apologize for um, for <laughs> babbling. I, I don't know how many of our people in the audience will be familiar with the sitcom Suits, Peter. I don't know if you've seen any episodes of Suits. Um, not an incredibly wholesome show. I've I've seen a couple episodes and it kind of got off the rails and whatnot. Um, but in the first episode, the one of the main characters, Mike Ross, talks about how he's always wanted to be a lawyer and he got knocked into a different path and he's been working forever to try to find his way back to being a lawyer. And I think that it's that mentality of the only way that I can flourish is if I pursue this one very particular dream of mine is very, very short-sighted that, yeah, you may have wanted to be an actress or a doctor or a psychologist or a garbage man or a firefighter or whatever from the, the time that you were a child. But part of human flourishing is actually just rolling with the punches, making the best out of where you're going with your life and, and living your best life in the moment as we're. And I know that sounds cheesy and it's probably on a motivational poster in somebody's office, um, but that's where I would go with that. Does that make sense to you, Peter? It does. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. And this, like you've had success in this, um, in the conversations you've had then. Yeah, absolutely. And and when people realize that you can't simply um, exchange one person's presence of life for another person's quality of life, I mean, at, at times, and once I've built up the rapport, I, I don't like bringing out um, analogies about things as heavy as the Holocaust initially. But I think that if you build some degree of, of rapport, you could ask, to some degree, couldn't you argue from a logical, from a an Occam's razor standpoint, for the benefit of an entire society, couldn't you kill a very small proportion of that society, redistribute all of their wealth, and set that entire society up to a more successful socioeconomic level? Don't throw that out right away, especially not on social media, because that is very much a... Um, a card that you probably don't want to play unless you've got some kind of rapport and they know that that isn't just a flash in the pan kind of argument. But I think that if that initial sacrificing one child for one person's benefit, what if you draw that out to a greater degree? Um, What if the oppression of one type of people, whether their skin color, whether their ethnicity, whether anything else were to benefit enough other people for their flourishing, could we pursue that? That's the only other thought that I would have on that, that can really resonate with people when they realize that what we're saying is to perpetrate a terrible, terrible injustice to allow somebody else to have a few more smiles or maybe even more than that. But but just this idea of flourishing can't at the end of the day come at the expense of other people's lives or well-being. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, and when it comes to false compassion, like you said at the beginning of this segment, um, there's just sort of a lot of ways that that plays out. I remember a conversation that I had where someone was saying that uh, sort of abortion should be maybe not mandatory, but should be allowed and really em uh, emphasized and pressured on people who are in, in very, very, very difficult financial situations. And it made me think at the time, and I use this as an analogy at the time as well, uh, about an orphanage I had been to in Haiti several years prior. I'd been to this orphanage and man, like these kids were in a tough situation. They they didn't have a father figure or a mother figure. I mean, there there was there were two people that were running the home, but you know, really to spend time with them is is um it just was unrealistic for uh for the the mother of the home, as it were, the father of the home to spend a sufficient amount of time with each child. Um and their pets were cockroaches that they found in their house. Um, they, you know, they all had one one shirt uh, and one, you know, one pair of clothing. And and by by our standards today, camp by the the Western standards today, maybe even just by overall world standards, they were in some pretty difficult situations. Now, my my question to this person was: If they are in such a difficult situation, such a challenging situation, wouldn't it be compassionate for them to? For, for us to to say, okay, like they're in a terrible situation, we are going to end their lives to sort of, to, to remove them from their current misery. And everyone would say, no, absolutely not, not. We need to go there. We need to help them in some way possible, but helping them doesn't include ending their lives. And, and so the follow-up question was pretty simple at that point. If I wouldn't end their lives, you know, these born children's lives, because they're in a difficult situation, why, why should we be allowed to end the lives of Preborn children who are also in difficult situations, and and in a sense not even difficult situations, but potentially difficult situations. Um, it's you know it's it's hard to know what's going to happen three, four, five, six years from now, um, because in in many ways the child in the mother's womb, it, it, you know they're sort of free from the financial struggles um, because they don't have them right now. They're they're feeding themselves off of their their mother, and so um, and the the person really saw that as well that comparing these born children with preborn children in these situations was particularly helpful. With that, Cam, we will dive into the second one. Now, this one came from a conversation that I had when I was in Calgary for the crash course, when you and I spoke at the Calgary crash course that we hosted with CCBR. And our first conversation, I we were going door to door with some of the new participants uh, who had never done activism before, never done this sort of outreach before. We went to the first door, knocked on the door, and we, when we asked the guy some questions, he basically was like, listen, man, like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Haven't you read the news? Haven't you seen what's going on? Um, who cares about the unborn? Who cares about preborn children? And then he said, I just wish everyone would die. Now, I've had sort of responses like this before, but for me, they've been few and far between. And generally, like the person will slam their door. This guy stayed a little bit longer um, before he slammed the door and, and I had, you know, really nothing more to do with us. But when I shared this with you, you had some pretty helpful advice, um, for how to respond to this, because we recognize in many ways that this is a coping mechanism that this person has, that perhaps he's only surrounded by bad news. Maybe, you know, I'm speculating here. I don't know this guy. I didn't ask him a lot of questions, but let's just sort of picture what it could be like. He doesn't have a strong community. He doesn't have a faith. You know, we have a faith cam where the end of the story happens to be particularly good news. Um, the good, there's good news for today in Jesus, but the end of the story is, is good news as well. And that evil is going to be gone and, and sin will be no more. 
and tears will be wiped away from her eyes. But let's say he doesn't have a framework that, that provides him this sort of foundational good news. Uh, doesn't have a community with which he can, you know, play pool with, have some drinks with, hang out. And uh, he just has the news on all day. The news is terrible. It's depressing news. And, um, and we can see how this would play with your psyche. This would, you know, you would need some sort of coping mechanism to just respond to the barrage and the fire hose of terrible news that's coming your way from all around the world. We we're not created, Cambit. Sorry, I'll, I'll pass this on to you in just a moment. We are not created to consume the amount of bad news that we do on a daily basis. We just weren't meant for that. And this is an anomaly in human history in many ways because we have access to every piece of news from every corner of the world uh, at our fingertips. And so now, how do we respond to a guy like this in, a, in an effective way, in a winsome way, in a way where, yes, we can talk about abortion, but we can also sort of, you know, tackle some of the points that that he's bringing up and maybe maybe change his perspective a little bit. Yeah. And so th this is a very similar conversation to the one that I, I had that I alluded to at Choice Chain of, of the fellow who just looked at so much suffering in the world and thought, you know what, we just need to stop the bleeding. We just need to start aborting some children so that we can get our feet right. back under us. And I think that one thing that was actually really helpful for me to understand that I've been able to communicate to a few people in conversation as well, I... I know that C.S. Lewis talked about this theme, and I, I don't know who the original kind of thinker behind it was, but this idea that nobody in the world actually experiences the cumulative value of human suffering. We talk about human suffering being this massive thing, all of this crap going on in the world, all of these difficult situations. And I think that we as people have this temptation to think of every person as experiencing all of the suffering. And I think that that's incredibly detrimental to our ability to address suffering and try to resolve it. And what I mean by that is that it, it, for this fellow that, that you outlined and the guy that I talked to at Choice Chain, the, the idea that we simply cannot resolve these situations because the situations are too big, I would agree that it is impossible with one fell stroke to not only resolve poverty in the third world uh, or developing world, but also resolve sexual violence in the first world and resolve this and resolve that. One fell stroke, uh, one fell stroke probably won't resolve all of that at one moment. And yet the route that I went with the fellow that I spoke to, and I, I would hope that it would work in the same way with the conversation that you had, would be once you identify... Let, let's talk about an individual person. Let, let's talk about somebody in your life who is suffering in a profound way. Okay, now let's talk about what we can do to alleviate some portion or maybe even the entirety of their suffering. We don't need to alleviate the suffering of every single person at one second, but let's talk about this person that we're looking at right now. At, at, um, in my conversation, we were talking outside of Chinook Mall, and there was a fella who was very much down on his luck, sitting um, panhandling right there. And so we, we talked about him as an example and said, okay, what would we need to do to help that fella? We would need to do a few concrete things, but we don't need to solve the problem of ISIS to help him, do we? And we don't need to solve necessarily the problem of, of um, class mobilization to help him. We don't need to solve each and every one of these other problems that do need to get solved. But at this point in time, for that person to have their life improved, we actually need to do a very small amount of stuff. We need to 
get them on their feet for today. We need to connect them with a few government services that are already fairly accessible so long as you reach out. And make a small change in that one person's life. And, and he rebutted that by saying, but that doesn't help anybody else. And I think that, again, this comes into the idea of thinking about culture or society as one single entity, rather than thinking about society as a group of individuals. And I think that we, we shoot ourselves in the foot and, and we bring ourselves to despondency if we view society as an entity that is a um a binary solution that that you can it's either all or nothing you either fix the problems of society or you don't fix them it's one or the other and i think that we need to have a much more particular much more individualistic look at how we support people that it's not a matter of fixing the foster care system in one fell swoop, as I mentioned, but rather let's talk about the kid who's next door, who's in an abusive home. How do we fix it for them? Then how do we fix it for the next kid? How do we get enough people doing very small acts of kindness that is going to ultimately improve their world? This is a long rambly way of saying that I want to challenge them on what is an individual case that we can work on right now or maybe an individual case that you have been involved with in the past that you were able to see some degree of success. Whether that helped the next person, whether that helped your other neighbor, whether that helped your other sibling is beyond the point. Did that help that person that you were trying to help? And if so, then how do we multiply that? We multiply that by Peter, people like you and I, by you who are listening, by people that we are speaking to, all going out of our way to help the people in our immediate environment. I think that it's there, that there are positive components to having our world shrink significantly. But when we, when we go into despondency, when we look at how many neighbors we truly have, that's not the point. The point is to look at, we have an awful lot of neighbors that we need to do something for. Let's do what I can. In, in the words that are often attributed to Helen Keller, a great social reformer around the, the world of disability, I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Those words should be a light, a beacon for us, drawing us towards doing the action that we can, making the difference that we can, that is going to help all of the people involved. Again, that doesn't speak necessarily to... Um, abortion itself, but hopefully that mobilizes those people to how can I help the individuals within my immediate sphere of influence? Start from there and then expand your sphere of influence beyond that. That's what I would do, Peter. Wonderful, sir. Thank you for that. Um, I think that's really helpful. Uh, I'm not going to reiterate everything you said, but just helpful to note that, um, yeah, we're not there in our conversation to fix every problem in the world, but sort of, sort of start at a point, start at a starting point. Uh, and see what sort of change we can make in our lives. And I have nothing else to add to that, sir. So uh, unless you do, I, I'm gonna um, put in, I will wrap this up. I'm going to put in one amendment on that, and then I'm going to talk about one other story that I, I mentioned at the beginning. So one amendment on that, I would say that as Christians, we are called to solve every problem in the world, to do everything that we can to solve every problem in the world. I think that the correction that we need to instill in people is we don't need to solve every problem in the world with one single action. We solve every problem in the world as we're able to in just like how you don't buy a fixer upper house and fix it all with one stroke of a hammer. That's going to take a very long to-do list and you're going to have to prioritize different things. And I would argue that we would have to prioritize 
protecting preborn children, literally the weakest, most vulnerable members of the human family above um, all of the other problems that are going on in our metaphorical house. However, to say that you're just going to let the house collapse because you can't do it all in the span of one single hammer stroke is absolutely not only naive, but, but just foolish to say that, no, we can build up uh, an improved house. Obviously, without God's grace, we're not going to restore this house. We're not going to be able to make heaven on earth um, of our own accord. However, we can certainly improve the status and and health of our house, of our world, by tackling one problem at a, at a time, having that long list of to-dos. The only other thing, Peter, that I was going to mention before we wrap up, I mentioned that fella that we were door knocking with, um, who had said that he was actually very pro-life. He didn't like abortion, but he had a friend who had been in and out of um, substance abuse um, recovery programs over and over and over again. The last time that he had gone into it, um, there was fear that he spent a long time in the ICU. They thought that he was going to die. Um, he had recovered from that. He was in a good spot in his life, and then he became pregnant. And this fellow that we were talking to said, that as soon as he found out that his that this fellow's girlfriend was pregnant, he was terrified that this uncertainty, that this um, unforeseen circumstance would simply cause his friend to spiral yet again, this time likely leading to the guy's death. And so he desperately wanted to help his buddy. He wanted to help his buddy's wife. And he wanted to do what he could for his buddy's son or daughter. And yet he just didn't know how. He offered to adopt a child. He offered to take the whole family into his house and move around his basement so they could live with him, all that kind of thing. And yet um, with pushback and pushback and pushback from his friend, he finally caved and said, you know what, fine, I'll take you to the abortion um, appointment. You can have the abortion and keep your life on track. Um, tragically, when we were speaking to him, his friend had unfortunately relapsed into another substance abuse bout in some ways, though he didn't point to it directly. It was probably linked in some ways to the abortion that his girlfriend had just received. And I think that as pro-lifers, this is one of the hardest things that we need to be able to compel people for, that we need to hold fast even to the end, knowing that at times we're going to have to be those people who pick up the broken pieces afterwards. To cave at the last moment and say, okay, fine, I'll take you to the abortion appointment to take you to this or that um, to aid and abet you in um, accessing abortion, that undermines all of the support that you initially gave. And in some ways that um, shows the, okay, you're a hopeless case. I'll, I'll just do, I'll compromise all of my, my values, all of what I believe to be right and true just for the sake. And, and then when you lose that anchor point, that, that friend may not know where they stand with you. They, the guilt, the disappointment, whatever it may be, is going to be incredibly complicated. What I ended up talking to this fellow about was that to be able to hold fast and let his, let his buddy know that I'm going to be here tomorrow. Regardless of whether you've had the abortion or not, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to help you navigate whatever challenges you have arise, but I'm not going to compromise on something that I know is going to hurt your child and through that going to hurt you and your girlfriend. I am here for you. I want the best for you and I'm going to be steadfast in that. I think that communication of love, that that unwavering commitment to the best good for the other person, um, his friend, his friend's girlfriend and his child is what is absolutely necessary, as crushing as that may be, to need to be the person um, to 
deal with some of that post-abortion um, recovery and whatnot to be able to to enter into that. I mean, the, the guy ends up doing that regardless, right? Whether he supports him in the abortion or not, he's going to have to be the one there to pick up the pieces. And yet by holding steadfast in his commitment to not aid and abet the abortion, he's able to stand on that commitment of, I loved you then, I love you now, and I will continue to love you genuinely going forward. I, I have a massive amount of respect and appreciation for those incredible people who are involved, not only with our pregnancy care centers, but with abortion recovery centers and how, how challenging it must be for those people who often do both ministries. They're, they're speaking with a woman one day and the next day they're speaking with the same woman for a very different reason. The first day they're speaking with them about how to navigate their pregnancy. The second day they're speaking with them about how to recover from their abortion decision profound amount of respect and appreciation for them. I can only imagine the courage and grace they need to not lash out in frustration of, didn't I tell you that this would all happen? That's again going on a, a segue, but I, for those of you who are listening who are involved with um, pregnancy support and post-abortion recovery, I, I can't say enough good things about the work that you do. I, I hold you up in prayer and in my thoughts, um, but that's what I would convey that you need to be there and you need to establish a consistent commitment to genuine love in those situations. Absolutely. Cam, that's a great way to end it. Thank you so much for that. We'd love to hear what you think about these types of episodes. Uh, we do get people reach out to us um, somewhat regularly, and we do love to, to see your questions, to um, hear some comments, and, and maybe just uh, you want to ask for further clarification or whatever it might be. So please feel free to reach out to us, prolifeguys.com. You can find a contact form. You can also reach out on our social media platforms, Instagram at prolifeguyspodcast, uh, the prolifeguyspodcast on Facebook, on YouTube, or wherever else uh, you can find us on social media platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Cam has his hand up. Take it away, sir. One last <laughs> thing. There is a lot of pro-life activity happening right now around 40 Days for Life. I know that a lot of campaigns at the time of recording are about to wrap up. And a lot of people are thinking about the pro-life issue. And so one other thing that I want to give a shout out to both Peter and I would love to come and speak to your community. Whether that's in person, whether that's virtually, we are committed to equipping groups like yours with the tools that you need to have compelling, compassionate conversations. And in large part, you can listen to this podcast time and time again, but rarely do we, are we able, I mean, the podcast is really about deep dives into particular issues, right? Rarely do we get into a holistic, this is how to navigate conversations in general. We'd love to offer a one to two hour workshop for you and your community. I'm doing one time of recording tomorrow um, for a group in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, it's going to be virtual. If you want training on how to have good and compelling conversations, if now is a good time with how active and involved and aware people in your community are about the abortion issue, please hit us up through those different sites that, that Peter had mentioned, because this isn't about boosting our speaking profile. This is about giving you the tools that you need and your community needs to have an even greater impact in the lives of those around you. Yeah, and uh, we can both come to your area, uh, but we can also do Zoom calls. Um, now, it's better to, to be in person, but um, we, we can also sit here behind our computers and, and do a talk as well. So um, do reach out to us in the various ways that I mentioned, our website, prolifeguys.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Is there a messaging option on YouTube? You can comment on our video. Okay. We'll see it. Uh, or anything else like that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our merch shop, 
or consider becoming a patron of the podcast to help us create better content and reach more and more people, not just in Canada, not just in the United States, but around the world. So thank you again. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your time. And we hope you tune in again next time. Mm -hmm.